Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life Church. To learn more about how God is using our ministry to reach lost people around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is a version of a hymn called an antiphone that was sung by the early church. It tells us that the mark of the true church is that it is a waiting church. And the church also seeks the companionship of Christ, even as she waits for the return of Christ. When you're reading in Genesis chapter 1, and you're reading of the days of creation and God coming and creating all things, that the perspective is rather unique. The perspective is the perspective and sense of human eyes looking out, looking upon, but actually looking out from earth, out into all the universe, and at the center of all the creation is this earth that God is creating, and God, through the various days of his creation, establishing first the light and the dark and the night, and then all the stars in the sky, and then all of the separation of the water from the earth, and then the vegetation that grows, and you see this progression of creation all centering around this little speck we call earth in the middle of this universal sea of stars and planetary systems right from here we're looking at it all and then it all comes to a garden that God creates and in the garden God creates or makes or places human beings men and women and Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that it all kind of concludes in this vantage point and it's as if we're looking at it through human eyes. We have to remember that Moses was the one who wrote this, and he was writing it for the people of Israel after they'd come out of bondage in Egypt. And Moses is introducing or reintroducing them to the God that's their God. And he's the God who's the creator of all things. And so in a sense, the people of Israel are looking out through the writing of Moses, and they're viewing this creation that's taking place from this earth. And Moses is teaching them and telling them, God through Moses is teaching and telling them that... God put them at the center of all his creation. That was all surrounding this one moment in which God made them and created them in his image. And that God had a plan for this. God did all this so that they would know him and experience him and enter in in a way that no other created being could in a deep, abiding, intimate, personal relationship with him. And then once God had made all these things and then made them his image, God then created this garden in which they were to experience and enjoy the blessedness of life with him. And when you think about it that way, it's a rather egotistical view of all the things around us, isn't it? That we would look at all the creation around us and we would stare into the depths of the universe and think at the center of it all is us. As God's unique crowning creative achievement and at the center of that is us with God. Made to be with the God who made all these things in an intimate conversation and relationship with them. And yet as egotistical as that is, the Bible teaches us that it wasn't enough for mankind. It wasn't enough that God had created all things around him, surrounding this intimate relationship they were enjoy with him in a garden that he specifically made for that enjoyment, for that expression of relationship. But then they put their eyes on a different idea. They wanted to be as God themselves. They wanted to, in a sense, be independent of God. They wanted to rise beyond that 
seemingly egotistical notion to being at the center of all things themselves, as God themselves. And so they fell into sin. And they fell away from God. They lost their relationship with them. They would be free from God to do as they wished. And as a result of being free from God, these individuals who were created to enjoy the favor of God with them and God in relationship with them, they sinned and they chose a course of self-exaltation. And as a result, they realized in a moment that they were apart from God, separated from them. They were driven from the garden. They left the light of God's presence. They went into a world of darkness and difficulty and death. And here is where mankind has been ever since. Every human being that has ever been born has been born outside the garden, born away from that place where we were to be with God, born into a world of sin, infected by our own sins. We remain apart from God. But God has never stopped holding the desire to be with us and us to be with him. And so the rest of the Bible story is actually an account of all that God has done to bring us back to himself. The first thing God had to do was he had to save us from sin. It was the consequences of sin and our willfulness that drove us away from him. And so God had to save us from the damage of our sins and the separation that our sins had brought about, separating us from a holy and sinless God. Matthew chapter 1, we have these two names that are given to Joseph that are to be given to the name of the baby that's to be born to Mary. And the first name is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves and he's coming to save us from our sins. Why? Because the other name he'll receive is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And in order for us to be with God first, we have to be saved from our sins in order that we may be with God. This is God's design and this is God's purpose and this is what he's pursuing and this is what he's accomplished in Jesus Christ. And this is the message of the gospel, by the way. The message of the gospel is that God has made a way to save us from our sins in order that we may again be with him. I'll give you a recommendation for a book. I texted my son. He has little children. I know he has a little children's book. I was thinking about this idea of what Emmanuel means and God with us. And I asked if he had a little book for children that might describe this. And so he sent me in a series of photographs a book called The Story of God With Us. I don't know if any of you parents have it, but if you don't, I recommend that you get it. The Story of God With Us. It's beautifully illustrated, but it's this picture of the very thing we're talking about. This wonderful design that God had in order to bring us with him and how at each moment in history in which God turned us to be with him, Man turned away from God and were driven out from the places and the spaces that God had made for us uniquely and wonderfully to be with him. But this is God's desire. And the end of all creation will be that God eventually brings those he redeems back to a garden. That's what the new Jerusalem is. It's a garden in which God will be with us and we will be with God. We read in Revelation chapter 21. Let's go back there again and just look at it because it's so encouraging. And we'll get here in our message this morning to these things. But in Revelation chapter 21, this picture of this new heaven and this new earth, this new Jerusalem that's come down, here is what we read in verse 3. I heard a great voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. It's Emmanuel. It's God fulfilling the very design and purpose of the name that he gave to our Savior Jesus Christ. Now take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 24. We give it a little bit of an illustration, by the way. Let me see if I can find a book here. There are different ways to illustrate the salvation that God has brought to us in Jesus Christ and that you can give when you're sharing the gospel with the individuals around the world. We found that this is the most helpful illustration and the one that crosses over the most cultural boundaries. It's favored by individuals. And you've used this illustration. It was an illustration that was given to us by a man named D. James Kennedy from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And he had developed a model of evangelism called Evangelism Explosion. And we took that idea and we've used it quite effectively. When we have conversations with people about the gospel, we first begin with talking to them about God. And we talk to them about God as the creator who made all things. Then we talk to them about a God who's made them in his image so that they might know him, which is, in a sense, the grandest thought, the most wonderful thought, the most elevating thought that we can give to a human being, that they were made of God above all things in his image so they could know him. And we talk about sin and our fallenness and how we've been separated by that sin and have lost that connection, that relationship with God, but that God's design has been to bring us to himself. We get to, at some point in time, an illustration that we call the record book of sin. And we simply say, just imagine for a moment that this hand is you and that this book represents a a list of all the sins that you've ever committed in your life. And they're on your life. And as a result, they separate you from the God who made you and created you in order to have a relationship with you. So that you're separated from him and you can't have a relationship with him. And God also is a just and holy God and he must punish you because of these sins that are on your life. But... God loves you and God still wants a relationship with you and he wants to save you from those sins. And so God came to earth and became a man, Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfectly sinless life. Obeyed God's laws perfectly and completely in every way. And then one day he allowed himself to be taken to a cross and there to be nailed on that cross. And upon that cross, he took upon himself all the punishment for your sins. He suffered and he died for those sins and he was buried for three days. But his righteousness was more powerful than your sins. So on the third day he rose again from the grave, triumphing, having played completely the penalty and the punishment for your sin. And now if you believe in him and you'll trust in him and you'll accept the payment he's made for you, then those sins will be accounted as atoned for in your life and you can enter into a relationship with God and know him forever. Now there's more to it than that, but does that help you understand what we mean when we say that Jesus has died for our sins and it's a way that they can begin to picture and understand these things and it should be a way for you to understand it as well that's God saving us that's Jesus fulfilling his name Jesus the Lord saves but now he had a purpose for that it was to introduce himself to as Emmanuel God with us It was to bring us into a relationship with him in Luke chapter 24 if you'll turn there for a moment we have the account of the Lord Jesus having the moment in time that this takes place is the moment at which the Lord Jesus has fulfilled this great work of saving us from our sins, of dying on the cross for our sins, of in a sense fulfilling the purpose and meaning of his name, which is that the Lord saves. And now we have a portrait or picture of the Lord Jesus living out or giving expression to this second name that's mentioned in the book of Matthew in chapter 1 to Joseph, Emmanuel. And we're going to read about it in verses 13 through 15. 
Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. What had just happened? The Lord Jesus had been crucified, he'd been buried, and now there were rumors of individuals that they have seen him resurrected and rising from the dead, and there's a report from the women, but they haven't believed the women's report because that's who the Lord Jesus showed himself to first, and this is the conversation they're going through, but they're talking about the Lord Jesus and what's taken place, and so it was in verse 15, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jason Baxter calls us to pause for a moment and not rush through the verses or the words that we find at the end of verse 15 because they take us in a course from good to better to best. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the good and we're going to look at the better and we're going to look at the best and we're going to follow his outline. So here's first the good. None other than Jesus himself. It says there, you see that? Jesus himself has joined to these two, himself. Himself. John could have written, Jesus drew near to them, but he was led by the Holy Spirit to write, Jesus himself drew near to them. In other words, the emphasis here is that this was not a shadowed presence, that this wasn't some apparition that came to them, that this wasn't some individual or stranger that they walked with who was a blessing to them, and then they imposed in their imagination the idea that this had been Jesus Christ. You have individuals who have loved ones who pass away and at the memorial service they shake out their ashes in some place and some butterfly flies underneath their nose and they get all emotional and feel that, you know, there was their lost loved one making themselves known in a butterfly. Or Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.